Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, August 12, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I am here with Brooke, Stacy, and Amber, and we are going to talk today about books set in the American South. Good evening, ladies. Hello. Good evening. We all sound so subdued. Well, I was going to do a Southern accent, but then I figured that was probably a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> we need Nika. <laughs> Though I, I, talk, I know, right? I talk to enough Southern people, so I feel like maybe I could do it, but... No, I think I'll pass. Yeah, we, we need Mika for that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so books set in the American South. I think we're going to cross quite a few genre lines, um, periods of time. It, it's going to be fun. I had a lot of fun preparing for this episode. So before we do that, though, I have to say the usual things. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Book Bistro Podcast. On Facebook, you can join our listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. So definitely check that out if it seems interesting to you. If you don't prefer social media but still want to get in touch, please send us an email. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So Amber is going to start us off, followed by Stacy, Brooke, and then me. So I will turn it over to you, Amber. So my first book that I'm going to talk about is The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. Yes. Yes, and this is by Kim Michelle Richardson. I'm actually surprised I didn't have to fight with anyone over this one. Um, you were almost going to fight with me over it, but then I saw you were going to do it, and I said, okay. Okay. So this is set in 1936 in uh Troublesome Creek, Kentucky. And this is a story about 19-year-old Cussie Carter, who is also known as Blewett. And the reason that she is known as Blewett is because she has, when she blushes, her skin turns blue. Apparently, like it's an actual real condition that people used to have. It was a genetic condition. And she is the last in her line of blue-skinned people. And Cussie works at the library, and she is a pack horse librarian, which means that she takes books and reading material to, you know, the really, really isolated parts of Troublesome Creek, the Troublesome Creek area in Kentucky. And this book is amazing because it brings in, you know, some the stories of some really poor people, um, you know, very poverty stricken people in, you know, in Kentucky, but it also deals with a lot of racism because of Blewett, you know, her skin color. She's treated just like an African-American person, you know, was treated during the same time period. She wasn't allowed to like go to dances and picnics and things like that. It also, it also has to do a lot with like medical experimentation because there are some medical experiments done on Blewett throughout the book. Um, so this book really, it covers a lot of different, you know, prominent things during that time period. But it's also a, a really gorgeous book about, you know, hope and the written word and how important books were to, you know, the people in, you know, these really isolated places and just how books really affected people. So it is a really, and the setting is really integral to the story because, you know, it, it has a lot to do with like what happens in the story. It has a lot to do with, you know, why people are the way they are and things like that. So again, that is The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. 
This book has been on my TBR for, I talked about it on the PIX episode. Yes, for the month it came out. It was like April or May, I can't remember, but I've been wanting to read it since then and I just, I haven't had a chance yet. So it's, it's, um, did I miss, did you say what, is it like the the 1930s in Kentucky? Did I miss? In 1936. Interesting. So I'm really surprised that Stacy is discussing the J.R. Ward novel said nobody ever no, so no my that. first book, I know. So my first book is going to totally like skip over genres. And um, I'm going to talk about The Bourbon Kings by J.R. Ward. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I came super late to The Bourbon Kings party because, you know, J.R. Ward's my favorite. I love all the Black Dagger Brotherhood and the Fallen Angels and everything. And But for some reason, I picked up this book back in 2015 when it was released. And I could not get past like chapter 10 because I didn't like any of the characters. I thought they were all annoying. I just, I did not like the plot, but I decided I was going to give it another chance um, because again, J.R. Ward and um, the premise is so interesting to me. So, so I prepared by reading it for this episode and I have to say, so this book takes place in Kentucky um, and it takes place um, it's a, it's a family who's been very prominent um, in the bourbon business for centuries. And it takes place basically on their estate. And it, there's the, the very, very um, wealthy, entitled, um, supported, sort of lazy family. Um, and then there are the people who work downstairs and behind the scenes to keep everything in their life going smoothly. So the, the heroine in this, in this book, her name is Lizzie and she's the head gardener. She has a master. She's pretty fabulous. And one of her jobs every day is to change out all of the flowers and all of the public areas of the house and in every occupied bedroom. And a couple years ago, um, her presence on the estate, which is called Easterly led to her having a very intense romantic interlude, shall we say, with one of the sons whose name is Tulane Bradford. And this relationship went south for a number of reasons, but Lizzie has stayed on and now Tulane has come home um, for a reason that I won't disclose. And um, it's kind of how they sort of begin to reconcile some things about their relationship. And then this book also focuses on one of um, Tulane's brothers, Edward, and his younger sister, Virginia, who goes by Jin, and some very dramatic things that are happening to this family. Um, secrets are coming out, scandals are coming out, and all of these 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 children who were raised in this very privileged way are trying to figure out how to deal with changes in various life circumstances that they're experiencing. Um, and, and what I really enjoy about this book, it's, it's in Derby country. There's lots of, um, you know, women wearing these giant hats and there's like mint juleps and everyone's like drinking bourbon all the time. And those things were interesting. And just the, um, the dynamics among, um, the family versus the people that support the family by working, um, on the estate. It was honestly, like, I'm still very conflicted because I love the storyline. I love, um, reading about, um, the very privileged South and kind of like just a, a world that I'll never be a part of. So it was kind of interesting to read about that, but also just about the snobbery and racism that still exists um, within that structure. But also I still don't really like the characters. <laughs> so I, I'm very torn about how to, how to talk about this book because um, I love it and I dislike it in equal measure. So I'm going to read the second book, the angel share, if that tells you anything, but Um, there's a lot of just so much drama. It's kind of like watching like a days of our lives set in Kentucky sort of thing. And it was kind of very well done. Actually, Downton Abbey would be a better description, I think. But, um, in terms of just Southern influences, just the way that the the women are treated by their husbands, it's very traditional, um, especially in this higher echelon of society. Um, and just some beautiful descriptions of the countryside and horses and bourbon. So, although I'm, probably not giving it a very glowing recommendation. I do encourage you to check out the bourbon Kings by J.R. Ward. I love it. It's, it's delicious and, and scandalous. So read it because it's great. 
It, and, and the I, writing is amazing, I have to say. And what were you going to say? It is. I was just going to say that I loved the way, like, Charlemont was fashioned after Louisville. Yes. Without actually, you know, it was like there were all these nods and you could totally tell, like, my partner lived in Louisville, Kentucky for 12 years. And when she read it, you know, she would say, like, yeah, you know, she did a great job of, like, making a fictional Louisville, but still incorporating, like, all of the elements that people love about Louisville and the Derby. So the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is Hot-Blooded, New Orleans, number one, by Lisa Jackson. And this book is a romantic suspense. And the main character's name is Dr. Samantha Leeds. And she is a psychologist that does a midnight kind of talk show where she has people come on and give some advice. Well, one night she gets a kind of mysterious caller, Colin, and he's claims he calls himself John and he claims to know things about her past that she kind of would like to stay hidden and he as the nights go on she keeps getting calls from him and he begins taking claim for these murders that are happening in the the seedy part of the um, French Quarter so while this is all happening, prostitutes are being murdered. And these two detectives, uh, Montoya and Benz, who are the kind of like the, the main characters of the whole series, um, they're trying to solve these murders. And as they begin to learn more about the cases, they're realizing that there's a connection between the cases and this um, Dr. Sam. Um, while she's getting these calls, they're the, we kind of learned that this name, he also calls himself Father John, or I think that's kind of what they call him. And they are beginning to realize that Sam knows this person. Like, she doesn't actually know who it is, but they feel like the detectives feel that it's somebody that's connected to her somehow well as the story goes on she meets um this new neighbor that moves in down the road and they kind of develop a relationship and then you kind of begin wondering like could he be connected to these murders um so there's a lot of different red herrings and you're kind of wondering did I solve it but then you realize that no no that's not really what's happened so I found it to be a really interesting book I it's probably my absolute favorite of the series which is kind of cool because it's number one and often when the first book of a series tends to be like the one that kind of introduces you to a lot of stuff so it tends not to be one of the better of a series but I've really enjoyed it so it's called Hot-Blooded, and it's New Orleans, number one, by Lisa Jackson. I, I have to reread so that book, I think. It's one of Lisa Jackson books that I, like, legitimately enjoy without getting it. bored. It's yeah. absolute, my absolute favorite. That was the first Lisa Jackson book I ever read. Um, it's not my favorite. I like a couple of other ones in the series more. I think Shiver um, is perhaps my favorite. But another one that I really like has to do with, like, dead nuns being stuffed into a piano. <gasps> which I find, what? like, really creepy and terrifying. I can't um, remember what oh that God. was called. Devious, I think. Well, I haven't read it, and now I never will. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of great. So, well, I like nuns. Not usually, like, when they're dead and in a piano. Right. Um, but I do tend to like them. And so this was a fantastic little, like, segue into my first book which is Unfinished Desires by Gail Godwin. And this takes place in North Carolina in the 1950s. And it's set in this really prestigious Catholic school called Mount St. Gabriel's. And all of these really rich 
girls go there. There's like a, an elementary school and a high school. And you basically like live to be a Mount St. Gabriel's girl, or you should, according to the nuns. Like that's just like the best that you can hope for. So we've, we follow a group of students who are entering their freshman year at the school. And Chloe is one of our main characters. She has come to live with her uncle after her mother's death. And it's obvious that there is a lot more than meets the eye to what happened to her mother. You can kind of have some ideas, but it's just very complicated and no one seems to really know what really happened. We also meet Tildy. And Tildy comes from a very prominent family, her mother and her aunt and probably her grandmother too, went to Mount St. Gabriel's. And so she's just like a legacy student, but she's not very well liked by the teachers um, for a lot of reasons. We are also introduced to Mother Malloy, and she is a young nun who has just started teaching at the school. And she comes from Boston. She's not necessarily thrilled to be there at first. She feels very out of her depth. Um, you know, there's a certain kind of refined gentility about the South that Kate doesn't fully, like, fit into. Um, and then we also meet the headmistress, and she is Mother Ravenel. Her first name is Suzanne. And when we first meet her, it's 2001, and she has been asked to write a history of Mount St. Gabriel. And so a lot of what we learn about the school is kind of like couched in her writing this memoir. And it's obvious that some very bad things happened in the school year that began in 1951, and that Tildy and Chloe, and unfortunately also Mother Kate Malloy, um, were involved in. This is a book. It came out, I think, in 2009 or 2010. Um, I've read it a couple of times, and it's really, really fantastic. Um, it's a long read. If you read it in audio, it's close to 20 hours long. Um, I fall into it kind of every time I pick it up, and it's just so fantastic. It talks about friendship. It talks about classism and racism. And it also talks about how our faith kind of influences the decisions we make, even when we make, we think that we're making a conscious choice, like not to be influenced by spirituality. So this again is Unfinished Desires, and it is by Gail Godwin, and I love it so, so much. Gail Godwin's books always look so good to me, um, yes. but I have never read any of them. Well, you should read this one. I think you'd like it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so my second book is called At Home in Midford, and it is by Jan Karen. And I have, I have been trying to come up with a way to describe this. It's actually a series. This is the first book in the Midford series. And this series of books <clears throat> is actually my favorite books of all time. And it is because, so it is set in a fictional town called Mitford, North Carolina. And it is about the entire town of Mitford. But the main character is an Episcopalian priest named Father Tim. Um, and Father Tim is my absolute favorite character of all time in any book. Even um, more than Armand Gamache? Pop, yes. It's, it is a close race but yes even more than Armand Gamache and wow. it is because so Father Tim when you know you start out the book he is an Episcopalian priest and it sounds like it's going to be a boring story because it's just about his life and you know how it changes um throughout you know the throughout the book and I, I believe the books um there are like 12 or 13 books in the series and so at the beginning of this first book at home in Midford Father Tim, he doesn't have any pets. Um, he, he, you know, is kind of, he's an overworked priest. Um, he doesn't, you know, have any children or a wife or anything like that. Um, and as the book goes on, he, so the very first thing he does, you know, in the very first couple of chapters is he, he acquires a dog 
they, they describe him as a dog the size of a refrigerator named Barnabas. And from then on, it just goes through Father Tim's life and the lives of the townspeople, um, both good and bad. You know, the, the author doesn't gloss over any of the bad parts. You know, there's drug abuse and, you know, child abuse and things like that. But it's told in such a way that you really grow to love and care about all of the characters, um, you know, in the books. Um, Father Tim is such a gentle character. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's really hard for me to describe the book without giving away a lot of spoilers. Um, but the characters are so well drawn and, you know, there is, even though I'm not describing it very well, there is a plot um, <clears throat> in this book, but it's basically just you're following Father Tim throughout his life from like mid fifties. And then I believe that the most current book is like him in his seventies and how it has changed uh, radically from the beginning until now. Um, you know, it is, um, it may be qualified as Christian fiction. I'm not really it sure. Is. Okay. Um, I don't really think that that's necessarily a fair assessment. Um, there are, you know, quite a, like there is um, some scripture quoting in the book, but it's because he's a priest and it really fits in really well with his life. And it, I don't like, I don't think it gets too preachy, um, which is, you know, always a concern for me with books like this. Um, but it, it just fits his character. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if you're put off by, you know, some Bible verses, you may not want to read it, but it's such a gentle story and series that I would really recommend that people check it out. And the first book is at home in Midford by Jan Karen. It has, at least from the synopses, I've, I've never read this, but when I read it, it reminds me of one of those books that should be set in like a little tiny English village. And it's kind of similar to that. Um, but the setting is such a part of, the character of the town. And if you read this in audio, um, I believe it's John McDonough does it on audible and he does an amazing job. Um, if you read it in like print, um, the author writes in, in the vernacular quite a bit. Um, you know, especially with some of the older people that live, you know, in the little town of Mitford. Um, so that can be a little off putting if you read it. Um, you know, in print, but if you read it in audio, the narrator does such a good job with the accent that, you know, it, it, it is vernacular, but it's really, really good. I felt like I could not discuss books set in the American South without acknowledging Karen White. It's so um, true. I feel like her novels, um, the South is like vivid enough to almost be a character the way that she writes. Uh, about various settings in in the South. And so I'm going to talk, I was very much, um, I was convinced until three days ago that I was going to talk about her Trad Street series, uh, which is set in Charleston. But I got upset because the last book ends on a bit of a, like, open sort of, not quite cliffhanger, but um, I have to wait until October to figure out what's going to happen next. And so I got a little upset and I decided that I could not speak about those books with the level of angst I was feeling. So I decided to talk about The Night the Lights Went Out. And I really enjoyed this book quite a bit. Again, it's by Karen White. And it is, it, it's one of those books that focuses on female friendship. So, of course, you know, I was drawn to it just for that reason. So the, the heroine, if you will, one of them, her name is Marilee. Marilee. And Marilee um, has just gone through a sort of public divorce in that her husband left her for her daughter's third grade math teacher. So um, just 50 shades of awkward will ensue. So what she decides to do um, is move her two children, her, her fourth grade daughter and her younger son to um, a, a private academy across town where they can start over without that stigma hanging over their heads. And so 
Marilee moves into a little cottage um, that was built in the early 1940s. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say that this book takes place in Sweet Apple, Georgia. So just the name is kind of delightful. And it's like a, su a suburb of Atlanta. And so she moves into this little cottage. And this cottage is behind um, the farmhouse belonging to this very prickly, opinionated elderly woman. By elderly, I mean 93. And her name is Sugar Prescott. And Sugar, well, she has a real name, but everyone calls her Sugar. And Sugar has very strong opinions on many things, from child rearing to proper diet and how cookies should be made and presented at parties. And so it's, it's Sugar's goal to not have much interaction with this sort of tragic single mother and her two waif-like children who just need so much and have eyes that just are begging for something. But reluctantly, she's drawn into their lives. And throughout the course of Mary Lee's story, we learn about Sugar's past and what has caused her to be the way that she is as a 93-year-old, prickly, opinionated, fabulous woman. So as the children are adjusting to life at this very prestigious private academy where everyone lives in McMansions and drives, you know, like Mercedes SUVs and, and things of that sort and live in gated communities. Um, a new blog about the town of Sweet, ba Sweet Apple, Georgia is published. And the author of this blog is just called Your Neighbor. And in this blog, it discusses the happenings of the town in sort of a breezy, gossipy way. And Marilee's divorce is featured in this blog. So again, very awkward for her. But at the end of every blog entry, there is, um, there is discussion of a Southern phrase and how it should be used, like, bless your heart. And um, let's see, something about, that's about as useful as a pocket on the back of your shirt. And I'm not saying it correctly, but you know, these Southern sayings and they're all, so it's, it's that kind of very um, Southern ladies and their lipstick going to the store. Like, you know, I was discussing from the Bourbon Kings, but then, you know, it's also about what is true friendship and what, what happens if you trust the wrong people in your life and how do you go from being, you know, a wife to a strong, independent, single mother who is able to make decisions on her own. And, you know, it's all set against this backdrop of um, this southern town in the late summer and early fall. And it just was a really well-written book. So I highly encourage you to check out The Night the Lights Went Out by Karen White. I have to give a quick shout out to a nonfiction collection called Southern Lady Code. Um, by Helen Ellis that you made me think of when you were talking about like the sayings and how it tells you like the history of the sayings, like how they're supposed to be used. So Helen Ellis wrote a series of essays that she has compiled into a book that discusses like this very thing. And I heard an interview with her on another podcast and I was just really, really enchanted. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but I do want to pick up Southern Lady Code. I want to pick it up just for the name. I know. <laughs> It's, like, really short. Um, I think in audio it's, like, three or four hours, but it, it just looks, like, really fun and interesting. Okay, so the next book I'm going to talk about is Nache, uh, Nachez. Nachez. Okay. Yes. So the next book I'm going to talk about is Natchez Burning, pen page number four by Greg Isles. And it is even though it's part of a series, it's also the first book within a trilogy. So the best way to start my discussion, because it's a pretty kind of confusing book because it's bringing in a lot of things because it is a trilogy. So the best way to talk about it at the start would be to say that it's a book that intertwines crime, lies, and secrets from both the past as well as the present. So the main character is named Pan Cage and he is a former lawyer and he at the time he is a the mayor of Natchez and 
he is kind of a really important person in the town, being the mayor, but also his father is a doctor. His name is Tom Cage, and he's a doctor in the community. And he's a doctor that is very, very, everyone knows him because he treats everyone the same, whether they're black or white, um, whether they're poor or rich. And in this book, Tom has been accused of helping his former nurse, Viola Davis, not Viola Davis, no, Viola Turner, sorry, um, with helping her commit suicide. Um, she had terminal cancer and she came home to Natchez and has asked Tom to help her die. Um, so in Natchez, I guess in Mississippi itself, uh, medical assisted suicide is illegal. So Tom has been accused of this and he's not really coming to his own defense. And Penn is very much the crusader for justice. And he wants to know why his father isn't coming to his own defense, but his father doesn't want him to help. He wants him to have nothing to do with this. He wants it just to leave it alone, to let him deal with everything. So while this is all happening, Penn is trying to figure out how to help his father. And while he's doing this, he's having to dig into the past. So now we kind of go back 40 years and we learn that there's this Ku Klux Klan offshoot called the Double Eagles. And they're a pretty important kind of group at this time. They did a lot of crime. They killed a lot of people. They, they just were not very, very good people. And they're still around at, in present day. And they're causing trouble now because secrets are beginning to come out. And they don't want these secrets to come out. So through this, we're we meet a couple other characters. So one of the characters is Caitlin Masters, and she's a journalist for, um, I think it's called the Natchez Examiner. And she is Penn's fiance. And she wants, she's a very much like, likes to know what's happening and likes the really important stories. So she is digging into these stories because they're interesting to her, like the past. And you also meet another journalist from another smaller newspaper. And he is interested in cases from the civil rights era, um, specifically the death of, I'm trying to remember the death of. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I guess there's too many people to really mention, but he's kind of, there's a specific time um, and there's this like, specific event that he's most, um, most interested in. So we get to meet him as well. So that's kind of why I described it as being intertwined with crime, lies, and secrets, because there's just so much happening in, this, in these books. So if you want to know more, because I really can't share too, too much more, um, this is Natchez Burning, Pen Cage number four, by Greg Isles, as I did They're the first so, time. They're so, like, lush and long. Like, it's like a 90-hour trilogy. It's amazing. And he's somebody who always writes about the South, and he does it with, like, so much passion. It's, it's just, it's great. So my next pick is really hard to talk about. It affected me profoundly back when it came out in 2013, this is Necessary Lies, and it's by Diane Chamberlain. It takes place in the 1970s in, I believe it's North Carolina. And it's about a 15-year-old girl named Ivy, Ivy Hart. And her parents are, are gone. Um, and she's living with her elderly grandmother, her older sister, who has some sort of mental disability. Um, you never really... It, it's never diagnosed. You don't really know what it is, but you know that 
um, cognitively, she is is affected pretty severely. And her nephew, who is the, the son of her older sister, and they live on a small tobacco farm. And Ivy is pretty much in charge of a lot more than she should be. Um, her grandmother has diabetes and is not coping with that well. Her sister, you know, has, has a child out of wedlock and doesn't really understand how to raise that child. And her nephew is just, you know, a little boy, like going through his formative years and wanting love and guidance. Ivy also has epilepsy, and this is a problem for her. Um, not, you know, because she has seizures, not because it affects her physically, but because the state of North Carolina in the 1970s sterilized people with disabilities, and you did not have to agree to it. So Ivy is really concerned. Um, she knows that her, her sister is at risk of having this surgery and that she herself is. And it's not something that she wants. She doesn't understand it fully, but she's pretty sure that it's no good. We also meet Jane Forrester, who is a new social worker in the county. And she's newly married. She's kind of idealistic. Um, she really wants to make a difference in people's lives, but she's also pretty clueless about people who live differently from her. And so she gets to know Ivy and her family members, and it raises a lot of questions for her about what the state wants to do to the heart women. Um, unfortunately, though, she's kind of just a, a cog in a wheel, and you're not really sure if she's able to to stop this from happening. Um, it's a really, really difficult read. It touches on a lot of hard things, things that we as Americans, I think, sometimes like to pretend don't happen. Um, it's it's about sisterhood. It's about female empowerment, but it's also about what it means to be a disabled person in the world. And even though we don't live in the 1970s and, you know, most likely people aren't going to sterilize us against our will, there's still a lot of things that happen to people with disabilities that able-bodied people don't understand. So I love pretty much everything about Necessary Lies. Um, it's, it's brutality, it's honesty, um, and just the, the very raw feel that Chamberlain gives to the story. I highly, highly recommend it. But then I pretty much recommend anything this author writes. Um, but this one is, is really special. Again, it's Necessary Lies by Diane Chamberlain. So I haven't read any of Diane Chamberlain's stuff, but it all looks what? so good. I know, what? I know. How, how do you not read Diane Chamberlain? Uh, I, 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 thought, I thought for sure that you had. That makes no. me sad. Now I have someone to catch up on. Um, Indeed. This, one, this one looks really, really good and sad. It is very sad, but so, so good. Okay. And my last book um, also may fall into the Christian fiction category, which is really strange that I'm recommending all these, but um, <laughs> this is Christie by Catherine Marshall. Oh yes. Yeah. And I, I feel like, um, so, okay, so Christy Huddleston is 19 years old. This takes place in the early 1900s. And she is 19 years old, and she is living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time. And a missionary comes to her parents' church. And the missionary talks about a small community in um, the Smoky Mountains called Cutter's Gap. And Cutter's Gap is extremely poor, and they want to start a one-room schoolhouse. And they're looking for a teacher. And Christy feels led to, you know, go ahead and go to the Smoky Mountains. And I believe it's Tennessee, if I remember correctly. I think that's true. Yes. Um, I'm almost 100% sure it's Tennessee. And she goes to this small little area called Cutter's Gap. And there she meets a variety of people, 
some of whom want her to be there and start the schoolhouse and some of some very, very much dislike her and what she stands for and do not want her to come in. Um, you meet Miss Alice, who is the missionary and who has been working in Cutter's Gap for a long time. And you meet uh, David Grantland, who is the minister or the preacher for the church and who comes from outside of Cutter's Gap. And you meet Neil McNeil, uh, who is a doctor who grew up in Cutter's Gap, left to go to college and university, and then came back. And so Christy has a lot of struggles with, you know, working in Cutter's Gap. A lot of the, you know, people believe in superstitions that are like hundreds of years old and they won't, you know, listen to like new ways of doing things. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't want her there. And she really, she struggles to fit in. Um, she struggles to do her work. And she also struggles uh, between David Grantland, the, the minister, and Neil McNeil, the doctor, um, because it's almost like a love triangle, but a weird one in a way, uh, which is a little awkward between Christy, David, the minister, and Neil McNeil, the doctor. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting book. Um, there's, even though it might be labeled as Christian fiction, there's not really a whole lot of Christianity in the book, really. I don't remember it being like a huge thing, though the ending is a little weird, but um, still it's a very good book. It kind of looks at, you know, the mountain communities, what they were at one time and really how an outsider can really come in and change things for the better and for the worse. Um, so again, that is Christy by Catherine Marshall. Um, and it's kind of a hard book to explain, but definitely might be worth checking out. It's a special book, even if you don't. Like, I shy far away from anything inspirational. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read this book, uh, I was in high school, and I still yes, remember I. many yeah. things about it. And it's it's one that stayed with me um, for years. And I think it's, and if this is wrong, please feel free. But I feel like it's because of this book that there's the Christie Award. I mean, I think it's a yeah. pretty, yeah. It's a pretty mm -hmm. powerful book. And I yeah. I enjoyed a lot about it, especially about, like, the the – like the cultural aspects of yeah. a very small mountain community mm -hmm. that's pretty cut off from, you know, the, um, the rest, just of, the, the rest yeah. of the world and like the, the current times, basically. It's just sort of like and, in its own little pocket. It's like being in Brigadoon. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of a living piece of history, I really struggled with what my third book was going to be because there are so many that I wanted to talk about. And I mean, Oh, it's, it was very hard for me to, to decide which, but I just, I felt like I could not participate in, the epi in an episode about books set in the American South without discussing The Help by Catherine Stockett. Oh, yes. And I am having like extreme anxiety about even discussing this book because I, I just, I, I cannot begin to do it justice. This book takes place in Jackson, Mississippi in the early 1960s. So it's a time of a lot of um, upheaval and change and um, kind of right in the middle of the civil rights movement. Um, and so this book focuses primarily on three women. Um, one is Skeeter and uh, this is so sad, but I can't, Charlotte is her real name. And um, she has come home from Old Miss. She's just graduated and she wants to be a journalist. She wants to be a writer. Um, she has big plans. But she comes back home to the family plantation, and her mother's main plan for her is to get a ring on that finger as soon as possible. And when, when Skeeter returns home, all she wants to do is, you know, kind of see the woman who she kind of believes is more of her true mother than her biological mother. And that is her, oh, I just, her maid, um, which is what, um, women of color were often called in these households. And uh, this woman's name is Constantine and, and Constantine basically raised Skeeter and gave her all of her values and was her loving rock. And she returns home and, you know, she's missing and no one knows where, where she's gone. So constant. So when Skeeter re returns home, she just wants to see Constantine, but Constantine has vanished and 
she knows that um, there's something that happened that no one will communicate with her what, what, what happened to Constantine. So Skeeter is part of a group of young women, um, all of the rest of whom are already married with children, who um, are sort of following in the footsteps of their mothers. Um, they all have their maids. They all live um, in, in houses, all trying to be affluent. They, they play bridge. They're all part of like the social clubs of Jackson. And Skeeter just doesn't feel as though she belongs. And one day she's at um, one of these get-togethers at a, at a friend's home and ends up talking with the friend's um, maid, and her name is Abilene. And Abilene's role is to raise the white children. And she's raised 17 white children over her, her lifetime. But this last little girl is her special one. Um, and... She's just lost a lot of her heart and her hope after the death of her son. Um, and what happened basically was that um, her son died while at work and the bosses just turned the other way. And Abilene just has been grieving. And working for this family, as unpleasant as they are, has kind of helped to raise her from that sadness. And so, you know, as, as Skeeter begins talking with Abilene, she begins thinking about what it would be like to write a book from the perspective of all of the maids who work for these white families and what stories they could tell. And Abilene is a bit of a writer in her own way and has decided after a lot of soul searching to assist with this project. And then also into this picture, we, we meet Minnie, who's Abilene's best friend. And Minnie is who I wish I could be because she's a kick-ass cook. She's sassy as all hell. And, you know, she can't really keep a job because she can't keep her mouth closed when these snooty white women are saying stupid things to her. And she can't just say, yes, ma'am, and walk away. So this story focuses on these three women, um, like I said, in a time of great upheaval. Um, and it's, it's a story about class differences, um, racial differences, and how a small group of women are working together to affect change in, a, in just a, in the way of, of writing this memoir um, from the perspective of, of maids of Jackson, Mississippi. And, you know, it's, it's just about uh, the shifting sands of friendship. It's about how, um, you know, Skeeter kind of learns to see the big picture instead of just, you know, what she's been raised to see all of her life. Um, it's just about racism at its worst um, and just the beauty of friendship that also crosses um, racial lines and class lines. And it's just a really stunning book that I loved so much. And Catherine Stockett has this amazing way of writing that makes you feel like you're sitting in this dining room at this table playing bridge with these women and hearing their narrow, awful views of the world, like you feel like you're there with them experiencing it. And it's just, I'll never read another book in my lifetime quite like The Help. Um, it was very hard to read, but it was ultimately very triumphant in my opinion. And just, um, I think everyone needs to read it. So again, that's The Help by Catherine Stockett. It's hard to talk about. It's one of the few books that I think like the movie actually compliments really yeah. well yeah um, the movie was so well done um the, the book is lovely the movie is is fantastic like in its own right and i can't I, believe Catherine stockett hasn't written another book so the next book i'm going to talk about actually kind of goes along with this book um it's doll baby by laura lane mcneil and this book is about the nineteen about nineteen sixty four and it's taking place in New Orleans. The main character that you follow the most is Ibby. Her name is Liberty Bell, but everyone calls her everyone calls her Ibby. And Ibby is I know, so weird. Eh? I can't imagine like My name's Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell. I know. Sorry. Not I even in was, Philadelphia. <laughs> I felt it was like, it was really funny. Like in general, the book has funny parts and just some of the things that are said in the book. 
are really entertaining. So Liberty Bell kind of goes along with the humor in the book, kind of. So at the beginning of the book, Ibby is dropped off. Um, so Ibby is 11, and she's just about to turn 12. And she is dropped off at her grandmother's house by her mother. So her father has just died. And her mother has decided that she needs a break. And she is going to drop Ibby off at her grandmother's house. So her father's mother, along with her father's urn. So that's all she drops off is her Ibby, the urn, and a suitcase with some stuff in it. And Ibby has never met her grandmother, and but she's learned, she's heard stories about her grandmother. Her grandmother is very eccentric. Um, she's not the most mentally stable at times. So her mother has kind of portrayed her as being this off-the-wall kind of woman. And her grandmother's name is Fanny, but she has two women that are with her all the time. And their names are Queenie and Doll Baby. So they are her help, they're her um, housekeepers. Queenie is her main housekeeper, and she's actually been in the house for way before even Fanny was um, owner of this house. She just kind of was sold along with the house, oh. which kind of gives you an idea of that time period. So Fanny has um, Queenie and Doll Baby, and they are kind of the ones that really take care of Ibby, because as I said, Fanny's not always the most mentally stable. Like she often ends up in um, a mental health hospital. And through this book, Queenie and Doll Baby are trying to help Ibby learn about family and about friendship and to learn about being a child in the South because she's never actually, she's never lived, like, I can't remember exactly. I think she was from Washington area, if I'm not incorrect. So she didn't, she didn't really grow up in the South. So Queenie and Doll Baby, they have they kind of take it upon themselves to teach her how to be a Southern, uh, how to be a Southern woman. This book gives you an idea of what it was like in 1964. For example, at one, at one period of time, they're listening to the radio and it's um, during the time of the signing of the civil rights bill. So you get to hear about that. Um, and then the book kind of follows Ibby as she grows up. So at, um, later on, she goes to high school and she goes, uh, Fanny wants her to go to a Catholic school because that's like the better school in the area. So she convinces the Catholic school, even though Ibby's not Catholic, to take her. So that's kind of a funny story. But also in the book, as Ibby's growing up, we learn about Fanny's past and some of the stories and the secrets that are hidden within her past. So if you want to learn more about it, it's Doll Baby by Laura Lane McNeil. This has been on my iPad for quite a long time now. I need to read it soon. I keep thinking about it and then I get distracted. So my last pick is my favorite novel by author Jocelyn Jackson. Yay! Yes. And I, I had to debate quite a bit. I couldn't decide what I wanted to talk about. There are so many great Southern writers, and I couldn't – I just had a really hard time deciding. But Jocelyn Jackson is pretty magical, um, so I, I had to, to do this one. So this is Between Georgia. Oh, I love that one. Yes. And it's actually <laughs> weird. Like, I always thought it was, like, between Georgia. Like, just, but it's actually between, comma, Georgia. Like, right. the, like a city and a, a state. town. Yeah. Yes. So, this is the story of Nani Fret. And she knows a lot about, like, needing to make the best of difficult situations. Um, she has two mothers. 
One of them is deafblind and the other has quite a lot of mental issues. She also has two families. The family that raised her and the family that's pretty sure that the family that raised her like betrayed them horribly. So, oh, she also has two men in her life. One of them is her husband that she is on the verge of leaving. And the other is her best friend who kind of carried a torch for her for years. So things are not particularly easy for Nani when we meet her. She's working as an interpreter and she's trying to kind of stay far away from her family because around her family, there's like tons of drama and she's just not really in the frame of mind to like deal with it. But of course, she ends up being drawn back to the tiny town of Between, which is where she was born. And she is kind of put into the middle of this, this feud between the frets, who are the family that raised her, and the Crabtrees, who believe that they should have raised her. And you don't fully understand what the Crabtrees, like how they feel that they can lay claim to Nani as like part of their family. Um, I was a little bit confused about that until things became clear about midway through the book. So you kind of have to stick with it and understand that it's a little bit mysterious and everything will eventually make sense to you. Um, so in a lot of ways, this can sound like kind of a, a lighthearted read. And yet there's something very, very deep and lovely and lyrical about Jackson's writing that just brings this place and this time and these people to life. And so you get really, really caught up in their stories and you learn all these secrets that people are keeping both like from Nani specifically and then also like from each other. And you get to understand that family is not as easy to define as a lot of us like to think. We think that we know who our family is and like, that's just how it is. You know, people always tell me like you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the, your family is the only one who will support you. Um, the, these are things I, I hear kind of a lot. And I don't necessarily know that those things are true. And this book does a great job of illustrating that. I am a huge fan of pretty much everything Joshua Jackson writes, except for maybe one book that I, I didn't fully understand. But I love this one so much. Um, it was not the first that I read by her, but it is the one that I think impacted me the most. I'm waiting to read her new book. Um, she's written her first thriller, which is also set in the South. It's called Never Have I Ever, and I want to read it really soon. Um, I should have read it like before it came out, but I wanted to read it in audio because she narrates her own books and she does it beautifully. She also narrates books by a few other people. Um, Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen, Lydia Netzer, and Patty Callahan Henry come to mind as the ones that I've seen her narrating. But she just has a deep understanding of the South that I love so, so mm -hmm. much. So that is Between Georgia and it's by Jocelyn Jackson. I love that one. Uh, I felt like she handled like the deaf blind mother with such like realistic sensitivity. Yes. Um, so that brings us to the end of our discussion of books set in the South. There were so many more. This is definitely an episode I think will need to be revisited at some point. Cause like I didn't get to talk about Pat Conroy and that makes me ever so sad. That, that's and actually a criminal offense. So I want to thank Stacy, Brooke, and Amber for coming up with some of their favorite books set in the South and sharing them tonight. As always, I thank Christine for her fantastic editing and also for the feeding of my cat while we record late in the evening. And thanks goes out to each and every one of you who joins us each week for another episode of Book Bistro. We appreciate it so incredibly much.
If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.